Welcome to Igniting Your Faith. At Igniting Your Faith, we strive to motivate listeners toward a full life in Jesus Christ by sharing the love and life-changing force of God's Word. We encourage you to thoughtfully and prayerfully let God's love make an impact in your life. Now here is Dr. Chris Fisher with today's message of powerful truth from God's Word. Well, we're going to consider this today partly to encourage and spur us on to love and good works while we wait for our redemption. To consider the destiny of the saints this morning. And first for some definitions. Although some traditions define saints otherwise, the Bible defines a saint as a member of the body of Christ. GotQuestions.org offers a helpful biblical understanding of a saint. And there it, it, uh, the writer writes, the word saint comes from the Greek word hagios, which means consecrated to God, holy, sacred, or pious. In Scripture, there are 68 uses of the word saint or saints. It was almost always used in the plural, saints. For instance, in Acts 9, when Ananias was questioning the Lord about Saul of Tarsus' conversion, who was later renamed Paul, Ananias said, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much harm he did to your saints in Jerusalem. That's in Acts 9. In the NIV, the phrase, the Lord's people, is used where the King James and many other older versions of the Bible use the word saints. So if you're reading through the NIV and you come across that word, the phrase, the Lord's people, uh, that's the same phrase that is represented for saints, maybe to help avoid confusion with some different other interpretations of what a saint is or, or definitions. There are three references referring to the godly character of saints. And the idea is the same. In the Bible, the word saints is a group of people set apart for the Lord and his kingdom. And it includes godly character. And those three references, one from Romans 16, 2, that you receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints. So the saints are called and inspire, uh, uh, to aspire to a worthy way of living, a way of life that imitates Christ. Ephesians 4.12, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. The body of Christ is not just a few members, it's all believers in Christ, and not just a few are saints, all who are the members of the body of Christ are saints. In Ephesians 5.3, Paul writes, but immorality or impurity or greed must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints. So talking about not just our identity as children of God, but our aspiration and call to live like children of God, to imitate Christ. So spiritually, scripturally speaking, the saints are the body of Christ, the church, Christians. All Christians are considered saints. All Christians are saints and at the same time are called to be saints. 1 Corinthians 1-2 states it clearly, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy. You hear that word, sanctified and called to be holy. That's the calling of saints. The word sanctified and holy come from that same Greek word root as the word that is commonly translated saints. My wife likes to 
point out that her last name in Spanish means saint, santos. <laughs> she says, we, we santos are all going to be in heaven. <laughs> Christians are saints by virtue of their connection with Jesus Christ. And Christians are called to be saints, to increasingly conform themselves to the image of Christ in holiness, righteousness, peace, and love. That's a biblical description and calling of the saints. Now, this morning, I want to give some attention to the destiny of the saints. Jesus promised, my father's house has many rooms. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. That's the destiny of the saints. He promised, where I am, there shall my servant be also. Who knows where Jesus is right now? Where is he seated? Doug? Next to, Next to God, at the right hand of the Father. Where I am, there will my servants be also. And I'm going there to prepare a place for you. That's the destiny of the saints, to be with the Lord forever. The gospel promises that when Christ returns, both those saints who have died and those who are alive at the time of his return will rise together to meet him. In our gospel reading from Mark 13 this morning, Jesus describes his return following those great signs of tribulation that must first take place. And here's how he describes his return. But in those days, following that distress, all those terrible things that were named in the first part of the chapter, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. And at that time, people will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. Now, that's the second coming. And that's the resurrection of the saints. Jesus promised he's coming back the way you saw him go, he's, the angel said to his disciples after he ascended from the Mount of Olives to heaven. And the disciples watched him go, and two angels showed up and said, why are you standing here staring? In the same way he went, he's coming back. Praise God. And when he comes back, all those saints who have died, who are asleep in their graves, who are dust in their urns, whose ashes are spread around the world, whose bodies are in the ocean deep, will be raised from the dead. And all those saints who are alive at the time of his return will be raised with them at his second coming. That the dead are alive to God now is proved in Mark 12, where Jesus rebukes the Sadducees who said there was no resurrection. Listen to what it says there. Then the Sadducees, now remember, they were the part of the ruling party, the, the upper crust elite of Jewish society at the time of Christ, and many of them were on the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council. And they were a group that didn't believe in the resurrection who thought that this life is it, what you've got right here, and when you die, that's the end. You're snuffed out. Like modern-day materialists who think this world is all there is and there's no spiritual domain. And that when we die, that's the end of the story. And the only kind of posterity we have is what happens with the generations to come. Listen to what Jesus says to those Sadducees who say there's no resurrection when they came to question him. And they came with what for them would have been a crazy-making story, since they didn't really believe in the resurrection. Teacher, they said, Moses wrote for us 
that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but no children, the man must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. That was part of the Levitical code to guarantee the posterity of people and names within uh, the tribe of Israel. Now, there were seven brothers. The first one married and died without leaving any children. The second one married the widow, but he also died leaving no children. It was the same with the third. In fact, none of the seven left any children. Last of all, the woman also died. At the resurrection, and you can hear them kind of smirking because they don't believe in the resurrection, and they're really trying to just trip him up with what they think is an argument to absurdity. That's what they think. At the resurrection, whose wife will she be since the seven were married to her? And now Jesus replies with one of the most wonderful, insightful, and revelatory sayings and teachings about what's coming for us. Beginning with marriage, are you not in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God? Those people who think the material world is all there is, like the Sadducees who think there's no resurrection of the dead, they are in error because they do not know the scriptures and they do not know the power of God. And that's who these people were. Are you not in error because you don't know the scriptures or the power of God? When the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They'll be like the angels in heaven. Now, it doesn't say we will be angels. It says we'll be like them in the sense that they don't marry. It doesn't say your male and femaleness will disappear, that you won't be known for what that was on earth. That's somehow built into who we are. But we won't marry anymore. So, marriage is for this life. That's why when you take the vows of marriage, the very last one is till death do us part. Now, that doesn't mean the friendship of marriage and the, the love that people have for each other, that is God's plan that grow in marriage, is going to disappear or be forgotten in eternity. But that covenant of marriage ends at death. But he goes on. Now, about the dead rising. Have you not read in the book of Moses, in the account of the burning bush, how God said to him, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are badly mistaken. So Jesus puts these guys in his place, and you'll see later why his putting them in place is the final word about eternity. Remember what he said in the next chapter? Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. And how does he say that? Because as son of God, almighty God, through whom the universe was made, he knows. He knows the truth about who we are and what we were made for and what we are destined for and the destiny of the saints. God is the God of the living and Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are alive to him now. That's why it doesn't say God was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is the God of these men, these women, and these saints, these people who have loved God, who are present with him now, and they are alive to him as he is alive to them. That's why Moses could come back and talk with Jesus on the Mount of Tabor, the Mount of Transfiguration, when he came with Elijah from heaven and spoke with the Son of God as he was revealed in his glory to the disciples there, that handful, that inner circle. Because Moses was in heaven. 
And he could be sent by God to come back with Elijah to encourage Christ in the final bits of his mission. So you see, the Sadducees needed to be rebuked. Modern materialists need to be corrected because they are badly mistaken about the nature of reality. Paul expounds on what's going to happen to us as believers and what the resurrection looked like. He, he rebukes those like the Sadducees who didn't believe in a literal resurrection. If it's preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there's no resurrection of the dead? You see, that was a, an influence in the ancient world just as it is today. This belief that this world is all there is and there's no resurrection coming. If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ hasn't been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. Listen, there are versions of Christianity out there that say Jesus is a good man and he had a lot of nice things to teach, but at the end when he hung on the cross, that was really the end of his story. And so what we're supposed to do as his followers is imitate that, that go-to-the-cross type of of uh, life so that good works and justice can keep going forward. And they don't believe that he raised from the dead. And Paul makes it clear that that version of Christianity is foolish, empty, misguided, deluded. And if that's the kind of faith we have, we're to be more pitied than anybody else because we're talking lies about God. If Christ hasn't been raised from the dead, then there is no resurrection. And our preaching is loose, useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we're found to be false witnesses. I can get fired up about this. Stay away, because there's a lot of spit flying. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, mercy. We're found to be false witnesses about God, for we've testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But if he didn't raise him, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead aren't raised, then Christ hasn't been raised either. And if Christ hasn't been raised, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. And then those who also have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. For if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. See, Paul pulls the cover back on that type of empty faith and says, that's worthless. If there's no resurrection, if there's no eternal destiny for us, if Christ hasn't been raised from the dead, this whole Christianity thing is a crock. And you ought to get out of it as fast as you can. And people who follow a dead Jesus are certainly discouraged because at the end of the day, it's hopeless. Right? How can you follow that guy? He's not any different than anybody else who lived and died throughout history. But that's not who Jesus really is. And Paul's saying all this because he himself was an eyewitness of the resurrection. First part of the chapter, these things are the first importance. And he says that Christ was crucified according to the scriptures, in other words, in fulfillment of ancient prophecy, that he was dead, and that on the third day, also in accordance with ancient prophecy, he was raised from the dead. And here are the eyewitnesses. He appeared, first of all, to Cephas, and then to the twelve. Well, he didn't say first of all to Cephas. He says to Cephas because first of all, he appeared to the ladies. Remember? To the twelve, and after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living. 
though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James, the brother of the Lord, and then last of all to me. Oh, to all the apostles, and then last of all, he appeared to me also as the one abnormally born. Remember, at the time of the resurrection, Paul was an enemy of this movement. And later on, as it was spreading, he was a persecutor of the church. And then Jesus appeared to him in the resurrection. And Paul's heart was changed. The blinders on his eyes fell off to who Messiah is. He saw the risen Christ. More than that, Jesus kept teaching him what the real gospel was one-on-one. So he got a gospel directly from Jesus, not from the other apostles. But if you look at the gospel, it's the same one they got. It's one of the tests that we see his inspiration. Paul encouraging us that the resurrection is the fundamental ground bedrock of our faith. And it's because Christ raised from the dead that we have assurance that we too will rise from the dead because Jesus promised it. And if he promised he was going to conquer death and he fulfilled that promise, all his other promises are trustworthy. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Glory to God. You see, our eternal destiny as saints who trust in Jesus is resurrection. Not the snuffing out of material existence as the materialists like the Sadducees believe. Not reincarnation. You're not going to come back as somebody else. God made you, you, special you to be holy, to be like him in his image, never intending or wanting you to be snuffed out. You are so precious to him that he intends for your identity, your personhood, your nature, your being to last forever. And he's made a way for that to happen by the death of his son. Amen. Not the transmigration of souls. You're not going to die here and come to life on some other planet or come back here as a bug. (laughs) If things didn't go well, praise God. What God promises his saints, the elect, the Lord's people, is not just a better life now, but eternal life with him. In the resurrection body like his. As the Apostle John promises in his first letter, 1 John 3, 2. Dear friends, now, now. We are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. You see, this is God's promise that the saints will be raised from the dead and given a resurrection body like our Lord's. Paul continues in 1 Corinthians 15, after emphatically insisting on the primacy of the resurrection, what the resurrection body will be like. He says, but someone will ask, how are the dead raised? This is chapter 15, verse 35 and following. What kind of body will, will they, with what kind of body will they come? How foolish. What you sow doesn't come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you don't plant the body that'll be, but just a seed, perhaps of what? of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he's determined into each kind of seed he gives its own body. Not all flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds another, and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies, but the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind. The splendor of the earthly bodies another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another, and stars differ from star and splendor, and so it will be with the resurrection of the body. The body that's sown is perishable. It's raised imperishable. 
It's sown in dishonor. It's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness. It's raised in power. It's sown a natural body. It's raised a spiritual body. How many of you have felt the uh, perishable, dishonor, weakness, natural? (laughs) The older I get, the more I feel it. (laughs) And you know that when you go to a funeral and there is the body in, in the coffin or the ashes in the urn, you see all those things lived out. You see how we wear out like a garment. And glory to God, that's not the end of the story. That the first death is not what we're to fear. That we're supposed to prepare and get ready to meet the Lord so that we escape the second death, which is what happens when all the dead are raised and all stand before the Lord at that great judgment throne when the sheep and the goats come before him and they're sorted out according to their faith and their life whether their names are written in the Lamb's book of life because they trusted in Christ and they showed they trusted in Christ because of the way they lived, that they pursued being the saints. They were the saints and they lived into being the saints. And there, those people have the glorious destiny of the imperishable, the glorious, the power, the spiritual body like Jesus is that lives forever. If there's a natural body, Paul continues, there is also a spiritual body. As it's written, the first Adam became a living being, the last Adam. Now, the first Adam is literally our original ancestor, a living being. The last Adam is Christ. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual didn't come first, but the natural, and after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth. The second man is of heaven. And as was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we born the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. He's talking about the destiny of the saints. That as in we began in the flesh, because we put our faith in Jesus, we entered into the Spirit, and our destiny will be His. The spiritual man who's conquered death, we too will conquer with Him. So I declare to you, brothers and sisters, he says, Paul continues, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the imperishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, the mortal with immortality. And when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true, death has been swallowed up in victory. Amen. That's why death's the last enemy, and it's going to be vanquished and come to an end. You see, our resurrection is guaranteed by Christ's own resurrection. We saints will be given a resurrection body like his that is immortal, that can never die again. As his body bears the scars of his passion, even in the resurrection, showing that the memory of his sacrifice will endure forever. 
so too shall our memories endure, our being, our personhood, redeemed and sanctified and under the blood of the Lamb and renewed, purified like our God. They're part of who we are. So you're not going to disappear. You're not going to forget who you were. You're not going to forget the relationships of love and, and intimacy and, and personhood and, and, and community that you had in this world. They're going to be fulfilled. And so Paul encourages us about our destiny as saints with these words I want to close with from 1, Corinthians, 1 Thessalonians 4. See, it's all over. It's all over the New Testament. It's all over the Old Testament. Daniel's the one who prophesies that there's going to be a general resurrection of the dead, both the wicked and the righteous. It's all the way through. Paul writes, brothers and sisters, we don't want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. Get your head around that. Materialists, people who don't know Jesus, people who face death would have out having a relationship with God and Christ, it is not a good future they're perceiving. When there's death there, it's a hopeless death. And it's like Shakespeare describing, what is the world? It's all storm and fury and at the end of the day, meaningless. Right? I kind of paraphrased that. <laughs> That's not reality, folks. That's a blind delusion about what real nature is like, what reality is really like. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring Jesus, with Jesus, those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep for the Lord himself will come down from heaven. You know, I know there's a picture out there of how the Lord is going to return, that there's going to be a general rapture of believers before that who will escape the tribulation, but I don't see that in Scripture. I see one church in the book of Revelation where people are told, you're a little poor church and you're going to escape the great tribulation that's coming on the earth, but not the rest of the six, the six churches in the, in the book of Revelation. And what does that mean even for that little church? It could just mean that all those folks will die before Jesus returns. But here's what it says in the Bible about it, that we who are left will not precede those who have died until he comes down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and then the dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, now this is Paul in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 17, after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. You have a wonderful, we, I, we have a wonderful destiny. And all those saints who've gone before us, they're not just dead. They're, their bodies, are, yes. Their natural bodies are decaying. They're in the grave or they're dust. They're, they're going back to the elements. But in the spirit, God knows them. They are alive to him. God is the God of those saints. And they're full. they wait for their full redemption. It says in Revelation that the spirit of the saints, the martyrs, is under the altar calling out to God. How long? How long? 
They're there in glory with him, waiting for the full redemption of their bodies when those dead in Christ rise and they're given a resurrection body like Jesus's. And then we too will join them in the air. Them first, us after. Together in the air, being transformed and joining with all those saints in glory. Now, this is Christ's call to have faith in him. To put your trust in him. Are you a saint? Do you know yourself to be a saint? Do you understand who you are as a child of God? Not because of anything you've done, but because of your faith in Jesus. Have you trusted in his sacrifice for your sins? Have you surrendered to him as Lord to let him be God? This is faith. This is recognition of the truth that he conquered death and what that means for all of us human beings and what we owe him in allegiance and loyalty and faith, faithfulness to conform to his image because he's paid the price for us. He's bought us with his own blood, right? And if he bought you with his own blood, you are not your own anymore. Amen? Hallelujah. If you're just your own, then death at the end of the story is going to be a hopeless affair. But if you belong to somebody else who's conquered death, oh boy, right? The best is yet to come. Glory to God. Glory to God. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you. We thank you for this great salvation you've given us in your son, that today, even as we name saints who've died in this past year, that it's not, we're not grieving as those without hope, but we're grieving, looking forward to that reunion. When we're caught up in the air together with them and rising, we see them and say, oh, this is awesome, brother and sister, here we go, on to eternity. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. That down payment of our salvation that comes now and works in us truth and grace to conform us to your image, Lord Jesus. And we surrender to that work. We put our hope afresh in you. We put our faith afresh in you. And together with the saints, we worship you. Amen. Thank you for listening to Igniting Your Faith. Let God's Word empower your life with new growth that encourages everyone you meet. Igniting Your Faith is copyrighted and published by Dr. Chris Fisher and First Church, Schuylkill Haven, Pennsylvania. Special piano music played by Cindy McClelland. You can find more information about Dr. Chris Fisher, this podcast, and the church at our website, havenfirstumc.org We hope you will join us again next week and let God ignite your faith.